Well, you can be open in your Bibles to Genesis 22. We're actually going to be most of our time in 23, but I want to catch us up. There's a little paragraph at the end of 22, and uh, I just probably should have done that last week, but it is important going forward into the Scripture, so I want you to see it. I'm glad that uh, you're with us today, and uh, it's good to see you. Are you glad to be here? Good. Well, good. I'm glad y'all all came voluntarily. That's awesome. Um, I'm glad y'all are here. Um, I really love that last song. I love that name of God, the great I am. Uh, it, uh, it sort of becomes uh, important in Genesis 3.15. I mean, Exodus 3.15. It, it actually does start earlier than that. But, but when Moses is at the burning bush and God's telling him what he wants him to do. And he says, well, when I get there, they're going to say, who sent you? And I'm going to have to say, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we're studying about Abraham right now. And he said, uh, well, if I, you know, if I say that, they're going to say, well, if you're so personal with him, what's his name? What do I tell him? And he said, tell him, I am who I am, has sent you. And then we jump to the New Testament. They come to arrest Jesus in the garden. Got this bunch of Roman soldiers. And here's this one rabbi, you know, just this one guy. And he says, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And they fall backwards. And literally in our English translation, it says, I am he. And that is kind of understood. But it's actually a double uh, use of the self-identifying, I am who I am. Uh, it's ego a me. It's, uh, and, and so when Jesus said that, he just fall down. Because at his name, we have to fall in worship. So... We come today, uh, it's going to be a text here actually about the, the death of Sarah. And I'm calling it the road less traveled. And it's the road less traveled because not many of us go on the road they went on. And we'll see that as we go forward. I won't spend much time there. But this is a road that they traveled that most of us are unwilling to travel in reality. And that's why they are so important in the scripture and, uh, and, and why we honor them today. And so... Um, here's what I want you to take home with you today, and I'll say more about this in a minute, so you can just leave it on that slide there for a while. We are strangers in the land. You, you have to understand that, and uh, we'll come back to that in, in just a second. Uh, if you have your Bibles open, just look at the end of chapter 22 for a moment, and uh, then we're going to read a couple of verses in 23, and I'll go on. But uh, beginning down in um, verse 20, now after these things, and it was just uh, after the whole deal about offering up uh, Isaac as a, as a sacrifice, which he didn't have to do. Um, it was told to Abraham, behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. So just follow what it's saying. Nahor is his brother. His wife's name is obviously Milcah. I would not have known Milcah was a girl's name. I doubt you're going to name your daughter Milcah, and maybe I'm mispronouncing it, but I'm, I'm not Hebrew, so I'm not sure. And then uh, verse 21 Uz is firstborn, Buzz is brother, Kenuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Fidesh, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Now, I'm doing all this just to get my mouth working right, trying to say all these words. Verse 23, Bethuel fathered Rebekah. Why is Rebekah important? She's going to become Isaac's wife, okay? So, there's the hint why God bothered to put this in here. Those eight Milcabor to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore Teba, Geham, Tehash, and Maacah. Now, what's important, what God is trying to show you in just that little paragraph, and I'm just going to say that so we can go to this new text, 
And I'm just a little OCD, so I got to let you see every verse, okay? If I'm going through the Bible, I want you to see, why did he skip that? And, and it's not because it's not important, but here's what's important about it. Abraham married his half-sister. Their son's going to marry his cousin. His son's going to marry another cousin. They are keeping it in Abraham's family. God is keeping it there at least till Jacob and his wife, okay? And then we get the 12 tribes, and then it starts spreading out a little bit. But what we're seeing is God is, is holding that genealogy to a people of promise. Abraham is the first Hebrew, which means a wanderer, right? He was the first one. They became the Hebrews because they don't have a home for hundreds and hundreds of years. But God promised them a home, and Abraham is the first guy that's promised to. And that's going to play into what we see today. And now today we come to the text of the death of the woman who is the mother of the Jewish nation. And then, but God lets us know, now this is going to tie over to now Sarah's gone, Abraham is going, but Isaac's going to continue, and it's going to be in the same bloodline to preserve this, this identity. So, I want you to hold on to we are strangers in the land, all right? And I want you to look with me in, in chapter 23, and just look at the first two verses. I'm just going to read those. We will read the rest as we go along. But in verse 1 and 2, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arbar, that is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we learn and study here today. Lord, open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word. May this help us in our life today uh, to know your will, to follow your will, to do what you call us to do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think uh, Sarah is an important character in the Bible. I was thinking this morning, and, and it didn't hit me till we were actually in the first service. I was over there singing, and my mind, uh, my mind starts really concentrating on what I'm going to do today, yesterday, okay? But, but I didn't get this thought till. Not that I don't prepare earlier than that. I'm just saying. Saturday about noon, I start thinking about what, what I'm going to be doing today. But, but I, I was thinking, and I don't re remember, and, and please, if you know of, of an exception to what I'm about to say, please come tell me because I don't want to be ignorant and I can look it up later. If nobody comes to me, I'm going to make sure I was right about this. But I don't know any other place in the Bible where a woman's death is mentioned. I don't know of any other woman hero that we hear the details about her death and burial, except Sarah. So that if, that, if I'm correct, I mean, how did Mary, the mother of Jesus, die? We don't know. Now, you would have thought, well, now she's the most poor woman in the Bible. Well, Sarah is the mother of faith. If Abraham's the father of faith, she's the mother of faith. And God wants us to pay attention to what's going on here. So we have a whole chapter about her death and her burial. And there are a lot of lessons in there. We'll look at a couple of those to, to get that. And so God is ensuring the lineage of these people to become the Jewish nation that obviously gives us the Messiah that is for all the nations. And uh, we have to keep that in perspective. So in the first two verses, I just want to talk about Abraham and Sarah's marriage for a second. Because think about it. She's 127. That first verse says she's 127 years old. Makes Abraham 137 years. So this week when I was studying, I, was, I thought, how long were they married? Because we love celebrating anniversaries, right? 
My wife and I will be married 34 years this coming December. So next year will be 35 years at the end of, uh, end of next year. And if, if God wills that we live through that, that long, um, that would be great. But, um, but she was 127, so I thought, I wonder how long they were married. So I, I started looking back when Abraham's called out. And it gives some names and ages and different things. But Sarah just appears. It just says that Abraham, Abram went with his wife Sarai. That's all it says. So they got married somewhere in there, and the Bible doesn't give us a kind of a, another hint of a time stamp on that. And so I just have to speculate. But if you're 127 and your husband's 137, in our modern world, that would mean at least you'd be married about 100 years. Now, in their world, sometimes the men were much older than the woman. They waited a long time to get married. Then they married a younger woman to have children. Uh, that, that seems to kind of be consistent, but not always, but sometimes. Abraham's 10 years older than her. So let's say she is young when she gets married, and he's that little bit older. He's, he's 30 and she's 20. That's, that's still like over 100 years. But if it was 60 years, which would be, seem short at that age, wow. That's a long time. In our modern world, that's a super long time, right? So think about being married to the same person for that long. But just, just more than that detail, hers was a life blessed by God with Abraham. God blessed Abraham and Sarah. And let me, let, well, I'll, I'll say this in a second. So I just think easily it's a 100-year marriage, but I could be wrong. It could have been less. But I want you to think about what Sarah accomplished and just what she did by being married to Abraham. All right? I mean, I, I get it. It's hard for any woman to be married to a man. I like to tell young people getting married to the girl. I like to tell her, you got to take the hairy beast home with you, you know. Um, and, and sometimes that's not easy to do. But Sarah never had a home. Never had a home. Now, she did, but they left it. They had a home back in Ur of the Chaldees, but Abraham says, hey, we're going with Dad. We're leaving. Okay. And she packs up and goes. She just goes. You say, well, back then they had to do that. Well, I know, but she wasn't unwilling. We don't see anywhere where she ever complained about their life the way they were living it. She never said, I want a house. <laughs> you know, and, and, and a lady likes to have some security of a home. She likes to have a place, right? She likes to know. And, and then, you know, if a man has a house or lives in a house and he marries a woman, she comes in and changes everything. That's aggravating. Right? I was 28 when I got married. I was living in a parsonage. And if you haven't been in church as long, let me just tell you something. If your church has a parsonage, I know what color it is inside. Beige. I think light gray is the new beige. I'm not sure. But it's beige or light gray. That's it. Okay? So I married Janice. And all my furniture, probably my grandmother was throwing it out. My mom kept it and gave it to me. I don't know. But... Um, so I had ugly furniture, the walls are gray or, or beige. She moves in, we get, I mean, she, we get married, she moves in, and she starts, okay, we're going to paint this bedroom blue, this one's going to be yellow, and I'm going, no, what? Hey, stop, what are you doing? You know, because I don't like change. I'm very bad about change. I'm telling you, I'm a little bit OCD, and I just don't like change a whole lot. And uh, Trey, who y'all met a month ago or so, um, he, he said to me, Stuart, that woman brought color in your life. Because <laughs> it was bad. I had color, but it didn't match. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was bad. Sarah never had that luxury. She never had a home. She lived in a tent with Abraham, her 
almost her entire married life. Think about that. Constant travel, never settled down, always a stranger, never at home, never could say she belonged. They were in danger. I mean, as they, as they traveled, they were vulnerable. They were vulnerable to a lot of things, from wild animals to bad people. They, they were in danger when Abraham would mess up, right? Because he did. They, they were strangers everywhere they went. They, they weren't from there, you know? I love, I love hearing accents. If, if, you, if I ever ask you, where are you from? And I notice something you say. It's, it's just because I love that. I'm not making fun. I'm not laughing at anybody. I just like it. Weirdest thing, one of the weirdest things that ever happened to me. Um, Savannah was 14, and we did a mission trip to Argentina. And we're coming out of Argentina, getting on the plane. And it was a, I believe it was a stewardess and a steward, a, a female and a male server on the plane, greeting us as we went to go in the gangplank up the, whatever you call it, then going up to the airplane. And every person going by them are like, hi, hi, you know, and they're like, hello, welcome, welcome. And I just went by them, and I don't know what I said, but knowing where I'm from, I probably went, hey. The guy on this side went, you're from Charleston, aren't you? How'd you know that? He said, by the way, you said that. I'm like, and I didn't have time. I mean, there's a crowd behind me. Everybody's trying to get on the plane. I couldn't go, yeah, but how'd you know? He caught it. Just Everywhere Sarah went, she's, she's not from there. Everywhere. Now, some of y'all aren't from here. I asked people, are you from here? Did you grow up here? I, you know, that's just an interesting question. I'm, I'm a transplant. I come from a, a, from a city where if, you have, if your family hadn't lived there 300 years, you're a stranger. You know what I mean? They, they're kind of haughty and, and proud, but they were always a stranger. She had some hard life lessons. She, when we read their story, we kind of think she sort of doubted God, you know. I'm going to have a baby. Yeah, right. I'm too old. That, that Abraham asked her to lie about who she is. But I'd point out that God himself visited Sarah. He came to see Abraham, but then he spoke directly also to Sarah. Almost like Abraham moved. I got to tell her because I don't trust you to tell her. And he tells her. I mean, that's, that's the Stuart translation there, but you, you know what I mean. You, you can look back at that and see it. You see, I, I, I know she's important because what we find other places in Scripture. I marked it. You don't necessarily have to turn there. You can write it down if you want. But she is honored in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is known as the chapter of faith or the hall of faith. Uh, because it's all these great people in the Bible. Some of them are named. Some of them are not named. We guess at some of them because we know what happened to them. And it seems like that's a reference to them. Sarah is mentioned by name in Hebrews 11. Now, Rahab is mentioned as a woman of faith. But in verse 11 of Hebrews 11, it says this. Now, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. When we read the story of Sarah in the Old Testament, we get the idea that she was more like, yeah, right, I'll believe it when I see it. But isn't that sometimes a defense mechanism? I mean, some people are kind of negative, so they just assume the worst so that they're not disappointed. I mean, I know people like that. They'll just, you pull up to a store and you're not sure they're open or not, so you immediately say, oh, they're closed. Why'd you say that? Well, I just don't want to be disappointed if they are. You know, go, well, there are people in there, I think it's open, you know. Or, or, or they'll just, oh, that's not going to work. Or, you know, they just, they say it that way. So Sarah's been promised a baby, but now she's at 90 and he's not here yet. 
she's got to protect her emotions and her feelings a little bit. So maybe that was something on the external, but the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 in her heart, she believed him faithful who had promised. Faithful is the word for faith, right? It is the action of faith, to be faithful to the promise of God. And the Bible lets us know what God, you know, we all mess up. Sarah messed up, Abraham messed up, you've messed up, I've messed up. And then if, if I were to write the story of my life, it would be about all my failures. But God looks at Sarah and goes, man, what a woman of God. And everybody around is like, are you, are you serious? All she did was laugh at you. No, she wasn't laughing at me. She was trying to protect herself. I, I, I can't guarantee that's what was going on with her. But I'm just telling you, God's viewpoint of Sarah was she was a faithful woman. But she's also mentioned in 1 Peter. And I can get in trouble on this in 1 Peter 3. Just because some women don't like this part. And that, so you, you, you might get angry. But I, I didn't write it. So <laughs> you have to read it there for yourself. And talk to the one who did write it. But, but it, it's very unusual. It, it, it says. Uh, let me just read all the way down to the verse. That mentions Sarah by name. Likewise wise be subject to your own husband. Likewise what? In chapter 2 Jesus, it talks about Jesus suffering. And his obedience to God. It says so likewise you wise be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. And uh, this is a place in time and, uh, where um, uh, women are not treated nicely. And he's saying that wives should endure as much as they possibly can for the sake of winning their husband to Christ. Verse 2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear, um, and, and this was, again, a, a custom of women of ill repute in that day. Um, and so that's what it would mean to be doing that. But verse 4 says, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. I, I, I still don't get it. I mean, I'm just telling you. I'm, I'm a guy, and I don't get that. It's like, are you kidding me? And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. <laughs> I mean, she had frightful things, but she didn't fear it. But, but what is, why would he say that about Sarah? Remember the second time Abraham lied to a king, to Abimelech? He's like, tell him. And, and when they get caught, Abraham says to him, I told her. To say she was my sister. And she went and obeyed Abraham. I think that's what it's talking about in 1 Peter 3. She knew. She, well. She knew that's on him. He's got to answer to God for us. Guys. Did you know that? You'll answer to God for your wife. For how. You know. Sometimes. A guy will come and he'll talk. And just be. My wife. She's that. Blah, 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 blah. And I always just say, well, what kind of beast was she married to to make her turn her into such a thing? We're responsible. And so she obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You're, that's you and God, man. If you want me to say it, I'll say it. Okay, I'm his sister. And the Bible says, yeah, she, was, she submitted to that. That's amazing. I mean, I, I'm just telling you, that blows me away. Please don't be mad at me. Just showing you what's in Scripture. And so as I look at this, and it, and it says she lived 127 years. And these were the years of the life of Sarah. But then check out verse 2. And Sarah died at Kiriath 
Arbor, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. They're in the land that God has promised that he's going to give to their descendants. But they never got it. They died without receiving that promise. But God gives us a hint of the promise in this chapter. But notice what happens. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. He cries over this wife. They've been together a hundred years. She still loves and adores her husband. He still loves and adores her. And he's weeping over her. This isn't just some custom or tradition. Abraham's heart is broken over her death. And he is in grief. And in grief he cries out. And he cries and he, and he, he mourns. I, I'm sure most of us in here, probably all of us, uh, especially adults, you're at least conscious of someone who died or uh, uh, you've had a loved one die. And, and, and when I try to minister to people who are left behind when someone goes uh, to their reward, I, I like to, if I get a chance to say, enjoy your grief. It is a process God has given us to work through the emotions and the, and the pain of what we're facing. And Abraham is exhibiting true grief over the death of this woman at 127 years old. Probably, probably knew her before. I mean, it's his half-sister, so he probably knew her whole life. I don't know if at 10 years old he goes, ooh, that's a cute baby. I think I'll marry her when she grows up. I don't know, but he probably knew when she was born. Different mom, same dad, right? We don't know, but he, he's known her for 127 years, and he's weeping because she's gone. Well, he loved Sarah but she was a true partner. She was content to live that life with Abraham. You see, Hebrews also talks about that and says that she was willing to dwell in tents. They're go, they're, that Abraham, Abraham was willing to dwell in tents and she was willing to dwell with him. Because remember I mentioned a home because they weren't looking for a city. They were looking for the city whose builder and maker is God. Where, where are you trying to put down roots? Again, I, I come from a city that, that has a lot of pride in it. I mean, there is an arrogant pride in some people in the city of Charleston. They're, not, they're very friendly people, very hospitable place. But, but some of them very proud to be from there, you know. And here's what the Bible says about us. We are strangers and aliens. Check, check out verse 3 and 4. So, in verse 3, And Abram rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites where he's living, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. This is the first time it's recorded, and I'm not sure that he ever says it again, that Abraham admits that he's a stranger and a foreigner. A sojourner and a stranger. And for the first time in Abraham's life, this is a very humbling thing to say. He's been living there for some time. These people know him. You can tell by their response in a moment. But Abraham comes out with, I'm a stranger and an alien here in your land. You see, where are you putting down roots? And so I said that about Charleston because when I was a, a young guy, I figured, I mean, I was like, God, if, if you can let me stay here, you know, I, I want to do whatever you want me to do. But if I could live here, that'd be great. I'm not sure I'd want to go back now. 
I'm pretty sure I don't want to go back, actually. Wonderful place to visit, wonderful place, but that's not what's so important to me anymore. Like I said, I ask people, are you from here? Uh, you know, sometimes you can live in a place. Uh, like, if, if you live within 100 miles of Charleston, somebody says, where are you from? You say, Charleston. You can be from Roundo or Pocatelligo or Somerville, Monts Corner, Goose Creek. These places exist, all right? And you would just say, I'm from Charleston, because that's easier. So if somebody says they're from Charleston, what part? So then, oh, well, I'm from Somerville. Okay, I get it. That's out there a little bit. That's not quite in Charleston. Me either. I grew up in North Charleston, the stepchild of Charleston, okay? It's not actually Charleston. But but is that where I want to be identified? You see, the Bible tells us in Peter, again, 1 Second Peter, that we are strangers and aliens here. That I no longer have a country here. That I am a citizen of heaven, not of this earth. And this is what Abraham and Sarah understood. And it really come home to Abraham now. As Sarah dies, you know what? I'm not going to live here forever. I'm going to follow her. I'm going to die. And this is not my home anymore. I'm a stranger and a sojourner. I'm an alien here. And when we get that attitude, that will help you a lot to live through life. Because... You can be a citizen, usually where you're born, you are a citizen of that place. And in America, that's very true. But if your parents are not citizens, you can have a dual citizenship. I have a grandchild who was born in Costa Rica. So she is a citizen of Costa Rica and a citizen of the United States because her parents were from here. And at a certain age, she can pick or choose or whatever, drop one. And, and I'm sure if she grows up in America, she'll just do that. But, but Abraham gets rid of all of it. You know what it says in Corinthians? It says that you are an ambassador for Christ. You know what an ambassador is? That's someone who speaks for the king in a foreign country. So the fact that you are called an ambassador for Christ on earth means that you don't belong here. That you belong somewhere else. We're just waiting to go home now. I am not at home. This is not where I pledge my allegiance, my allegiance is to Christ. And Christ may call me to serve the nation I live in. He does call us to serve all the nations of the world with the gospel, right? He may call some of us to serve that nation for its own uh, needs, and that's great. But my, my point is that Abraham and Sarah caught on that I don't belong here. That I, I belong to another kingdom. And it comes home to Abraham when Sarah dies. And the first thing he says after her death is, I'm a stranger. I'm a traveler. I'm a foreigner with you. A sojourner and foreigner, the words are. And then he's asking a request. Give me a property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Abraham is wealthy. He's got a lot of stuff living in a tent. But he doesn't own any land to bury his wife. That will bring that home to you as well. Having a whole lot of possessions, but you don't even have a piece of dirt to put your wife in when she died. I, I said that crudely for impact. And he has to go with hat in hand and ask those people, will you sell me something where I can bury my wife? In fact, notice what he said, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. That's an odd term, isn't it? What he says. is, we don't belong here, and I, I, I got to bury her out of my sight. I got to put her 
away because I still have living to do here, but I'm headed somewhere else. And I can't just grieve over this constantly forever. In verse 5, the Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. So he asked uh, permission uh, to buy something, and the Hittites show him great respect. Then the Bible says, Abraham then rose, verse 7, and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and the negotiation begins. Okay? Follow what goes on. And he said to them, If you're willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, he says it a second time, hear me and entreat me for Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field for the full price. Let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burial place. So Abraham throws out the beginning of the negotiation. All right, any place, I want that place, okay? And he points it out. Now, Zophar's sitting there. The guy he's talking about is sitting right there, but he's talking to these elders of this place. And so, verse 10, now, Ephron was sitting among the Hittites. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, all who were at the gate of the city, all the city fathers, out loud in front of them, he says, no, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. He didn't mean part of that. <laughs> this is a technique. This is a negotiation technique common to that area, common to that area today. Now, as Southerners, if you're from the South, I mean, we're in Virginia. Most of y'all are Southerners. Some of y'all came from other places. That's fine. You know, glad y'all got here. Um, but let me help you understand something about Southerners. And that is, don't believe the first answer we give you. <laughs> All right? Because that was just a ploy. Uh, a, a, a Southerner, if he said, oh, no, you can have this. If you said you like something, oh, we'll take it. If you went, oh, great, thanks. And you took it, they'd have died of a heart attack right there. Because <laughs> you're not supposed to do that. When, when Pastor Kareem was here, he let us know that over there in the Middle East, you have to say no three times before it's a real no. So if you say, would you like some coffee? No, 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 I'm fine. No, would you like some coffee? No, no. I'm, would you like some coffee? If they say no the third time, they meant it. But they, okay, if you insist, and they'll take it. That's so Southern. It's, I mean, we're, I, I think Southerners must have come from this part or something. I don't know, but we're kind of like that. And so this is just a, a and so Abraham gets that, and Abraham uh, says, um, and he said to Ephron, give me, uh, but if you will hear me, I give you the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bear my dead there. So Abraham responds, oh, you're so generous. Thank you. But no, 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 no. Let me buy it from you. And Ephron does the same thing again. But now he lets him know. He says, my Lord, look at verse 14. Ephron answers, verse 15. My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that to you and me? He told him the price. Oh, no, no, no. I wouldn't take 400 shekels of silver from you for that because that's what I'd take from anybody else. So what is that between me and you? Bury your dead. And the next verse says, and Abraham counted out the money. Look at that. Verse 18. Abram listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron 
the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. Why is that important? I'll tell you why. Scholars tell us that was an exorbitant price. It shouldn't have cost that much. Now, I don't know how they figured that out. I'm just telling you that's what they say, okay? So if they're wrong, I'm wrong. I, I didn't do the research. That's just what I read. Abraham doesn't even haggle about that. He overpaid for a burial place for Sarah because it wasn't about getting a deal. And he honors Sarah by giving her an expensive piece of property now. I will pay whatever you ask, is what he's saying. I'm sure Ephron went, man, I should have said 600. <laughs> but he just pays it to honor his wife, Sarah. And she is honored by that. But I, I want to tell you something that you and I would have not have known if somebody hadn't pointed it out to us. He wants to bury her in this field with a cave and he says give me the cave of Machpelah Machpelah translates into English as two doors you see for the believer the grave is not a dead end it's a tunnel with two doors you go in one side and you come out the other because you're not going to stay dead there's coming a day, your spirit's going to live on in heaven. When you, when you cease to breathe on this earth, I don't call ceasing to breathe on earth dying. For the Christian, it's falling asleep. For the lost man, he has just entered eternal death. He will be dying forever. He will exist, but he will not die. But he has no life in him. He does not have the life of God. He's separated from the life of God, the light of God. He's separated from love. You know, some people just in ignorance, they go, well, yeah, I don't mind going to hell. Me and my friends are going to party down there. No, you're not. There is no love in hell. There is no joy in hell. There is no party in hell. It's eternal death. But for the believer... It's eternal life. It's eternal joy and peace and glory in the presence of God. And here the mother of our faith, if Abraham is the father, she's the mother of our faith, is buried in a tomb called Two Doors because she is coming out. And the Bible lets us know that when Jesus returns for us, that the dead in Christ will rise. I mean, if a Christian has fallen off a boat somewhere and eaten by a whale or a shark and now is just remains on the bottom of the ocean, he's going to bring all that back together. You say, how's he going to do that? Well, you're a modern person. You ought to know. All you got to know is our DNA sequence. And God made it the first time. He can make it the second time. And by the way, he will alter your DNA sequence because now you'll be an eternal body. It won't die again. That body won't die. It'll be fine it'll be like the body jesus came out of the tomb in where he could eat he could do all those things but he could also just appear in the locked room go through the wall no problem so we'll have that kind of body and it'll be reunited with our soul that has been with god all that time but abraham pays this price in this jewish or this middle east negotiation and he honors his wife. He doesn't haggle about it. That, now's not the time to do that. 
And in fact, I think it kind of made Ephron look a little bad, don't you think? So I'm like, man, he's a nice guy. Why'd you do that to him? You know, I, I, I can only imagine that. The Bible doesn't say, but I, gotta, I, I just feel like the rest of the guys went either like, dude, that, you made a good deal or you idiot. He's, he's been nice to us. Why'd you do that? I don't know. Look at verse 17. So the field of, Eph, of Ephron and Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all, before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. Why does he keep saying it was made over to him? It is a legal transaction. There's plenty of, of, of records of, of legal transactions from the Bible days. And so they made a legal transaction. And though Abraham did not receive the promise that the land would be given to him, he bought a piece of it before he died. I know he already had the two wells, but he had to go across other people's property to get those wells. He owns that field and that cave. And this is a spot that now becomes very sacred to all the Jewish people. Because Sarah's buried there, the mother of our faith, as well as of the people of the Jews. You say, well, all that's real nice. What does that do for me? Well, there's a couple of things that have you think about in light of all this. Number one, your marriage is worth working on. Janice and I just uh, finished a short devotion on our YouVersion app on our phones. Uh, we try to always be doing one together, talk about it uh, there and to, with each other. And we just finished one called uh, You and Me Forever by Francis Chan. So if you got YouVersion, it's a great one. If you're married, I'd recommend doing that with your wife because it's about marriage. His opening line is something like this. People make too big a deal about marriage. I'm going, Francis, what are you saying? <laughs> I've never heard a preacher say, you're making too big a deal about marriage. But his second statement was, it's about the glory of God. You see, we don't get married and make much of it. We, we spend so much time looking at each other, trying to make that good. We forget that the two of us together are supposed to be looking at God, making him look good. That we are together for the glory of God. The reason to get married is that two of us together can glorify God better together than we could apart. And so we need to work on us together, but not just looking at each other. Because that's just two ticks without a dog. God is our dog. No sacrilege meant. He is the source of our need. He is the one who gives us what we need. And so as he feeds us the spiritual life that he wants to give us, we honor him and glorify him in our marriage and how we live out that life. Abraham and Sarah lived in such a way that it's, it's held up as an example and lauded and honored in Scripture. Neither is without mistakes. That's why we know the Bible wasn't written by men because it'd make all the heroes look good. The Bible makes the heroes look just like the rest of us because they were. But God worked in their life, and God made it great. And God can do something in your life, in your marriage, no matter where you are right now. If you're married, God wants to make where you are now glorify him and be great together. And you know, when you get busy glorifying God together, it sort of makes you get along a lot better, too. Number two, God is always present when we're in mourning. 
There's another verse I'd like to share with you. You may have read it and not noticed it, or you may not have ever read it. It's found in Ecclesiastes. When I was a little boy, I, can, I always talk about this, sitting on the, the counter in the bathroom, my dad shaving and stuff, and he would talk to me and tell me things. And one thing he told me one time was, it's better to go into the house of death than into a house of a party. Now, that not, might not be exact words he used, but I didn't realize he was quoting Scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. Verse 4. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools in the house of mirth. In other words, Ecclesiastes is telling us, you need to grow up act right because you're going to die. And you don't know when you're going to die. You better live your life for the glory of God because an end is coming. Even Abraham, it seems, suddenly is awakened by the death of his dear wife. And, if, and, and so many times when someone has, has died, there's always members of our families that are not in Christ. They don't know the Lord. What a time because now they are there and they're thinking about eternity. Because nobody's going to get out of this alive. We're all going to the graveyard eventually. So the question is not when you go to the graveyard, where are you going from there? What's going to happen when you die? And God is always, but God is always with us when we're mourning. He gives us that process of grief. And he is a very present help. And we learn so much about him. Because remember what Jesus said when the Pharisees said, uh, you're not even 50 years old. How can you say you saw Abraham, Abraham saw your day and you saw his day? He said, have you not read God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He's the God of the living, not the dead. Doesn't say he was the God of Abraham and was the God of Jacob, was the, uh, Isaac and was the God of Jacob. He is the God of, they're still alive. They're just in heaven. We don't die. We just move. Get a new address. And God is always at the house of mourning. It says in Psalm 116, it precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. He loves to bring us home to live with him. Number three, where are you planting your roots? I already mentioned that. Where are you putting down roots? Jesus said, don't work for earthly treasures where that can rust. You know, Cadillacs wind up in the junkyard eventually, right? Where Thieves can steal your gold. You get a nice new outfit, but a moth will eat it. He said, but rather lay up treasures in heaven where they don't rust. Thieves can't steal it. Nothing's going to get to it. See, Abraham had a lot of stuff here, but he was really laying up treasures in heaven by his life because it says he looked for the city whose builder and maker is God in Hebrews 11. And Abraham's focus was not on this life, but on the life to come. And so we see that illustrated here when Sarah dies. Let's pray. Father, indeed, maybe there are people here mourning today the death of a loved one. Maybe they're struggling in life. Maybe there's things not going well. Maybe uh, a a lot of maybes. Maybe things are, are not well at home or at work. Maybe they're struggling. Maybe they're desperate. There's a situation, lack of funds or some other relationship has just gone horribly wrong. Lord, may we realize that you are a God of all strength and power and love and might. 
And when we turn our focus to glorifying you, that then the rest of our life works out. That's what you're telling us in Romans. For those who are called according to your purpose, you are working all things out. It's for our good. It's for the glory of God. And so, Lord, I I just ask that myself and those who hear me, that we would pause before you and say, whatever the number of days that I have left, may they be lived to your glory, Father, for your sake. And Lord, may we be faithful in our relationships here, whether it be friends or marriage or just blood relatives. We, we see all that right there in this text. And Lord, may we be a people who are not focused on the things of this earth, as you said in Colossians 3, since then you are risen with Christ, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. And so, Lord, may we set our affections there with you. May we give you our best, our highest, our utmost for your highest. Lord, may we give to you all that we are, all that we have, and all that we'll ever be. For your glory, but it's for our good. For when we live to ourself, we find we fall into misery. We fall into sinful attitudes. We fall into worry. We fall into a lot of things that aren't good for us. But when we live for your glory, everything earthly could be stripped away from us and we would still have your joy and the knowledge that we know you and that we're going to heaven when we die. And nobody can ever take that from us. You can strip away all earthly things from us, but you cannot take away the gift of God, which is eternal life in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, may we live for your glory and not worry so much about all the little details. In Jesus' name, amen.